Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hero Ball Podcast. Joining me in this part of the podcast is going to be Elkin Beltry. Now, Elkin, um, neither of us are citizens of Canada, but how would you feel if you were a Canadian and your new capital city is Lebronto? I mean, I'll be a little bit upset, but I think at this point, though, you uh, have to take your losses. Not much you can say about it, as much as you complain. Actually, a funny thing I saw on Twitter, Christmas Canadian guy upset about the whole Lebronto thing, being down 3-0, and then he said, at least I don't have to pay $100 for uh, prescribed cough medicine. And then he just went on and said, how come everyone keeps bringing up 3-0, and but no one wants to talk to me about how American health insurance is bad. So that's where we're at. That's where we're at at this point. Canadians are attacking health insurance because of a basketball series. Well, hey, you know, get get your get your uh, jabs in where you can, I guess. I mean, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with that. But um, frankly, uh, that's not the series I want to begin with. I actually want to start off with the Celtics and the 76ers today. All right. Um, all right. Richard, Richard and I will be doing the Western Conference uh, later this evening, Elkin. So sorry that you will be asleep, but that's when we'll be getting our sock, rocks off with the Western Conference. That's okay. It's okay. Anyway, so going with 76ers and Celtics, um, it, to start off, like, who would have thought that of all conferences, the East would be the one with two 3-0 series leads and not the West? Like, I think everyone would have would have guessed if you had to bet yeah. that the, the, sweep, the sweep potential would have came from the Western Conference with the Rockets and – and Warriors, but instead it's the Celtics and Cavs doing business. Um, the Celtics, uh, interesting wins, especially this last one, where I would, as much as I hate to say it, I think the Sixers really just blew the game. Um, is that how yeah. you feel about this game? Yeah, I felt as though you're coming back in the game three. In game three, you normally do expect that team who's headed home to really have a breakout game. That's when normally your shots are falling. As much as we don't want to say it, the referees – Sometimes giving you the benefit of a doubt when they start calling stuff for you. And you saw the momentum. I think it was at one point, second quarter, you saw that momentum just build up for the 76ers. Ben Simmons going around dunking. You have Joel Embiid posterizing. Three-pointers are falling. But then it seemed like no matter what they did, the Celtics just kept coming back in there. And I think about it to game going back to game two as well. It's almost that trend where once the 76ers get a lead, if they get a big lead and they start messing up, they have that deer in the headlights look when the Celtics start coming back and Brett Brown is just there doing the whole, hey, let's let him play, let's let him play. And that does not work every time. Yeah, it's not working right now. I don't really know how Brett Brown can do anything differently. I mean, like maybe you call it timeout and just get in their heads a little bit. But like, you know, Ben Simmons, like we're talking about like the last few minutes of the game, Ben Simmons flunked a dunk. With 81-81, um, so that's unfortunate. You know, it ends up ends up you know being overtime being an 89-89. So those two points yeah. would have been pretty pretty nice. JJ Reddick just throws the ball away to when when you had a chance to take the final shot. So then you force Belnelli to take a a wild shot that you know unfortunately stepped on the line. Like it just, the, the, I don't know how to say anything else anywhere other than this is that. The um the Sixers remind me a lot of like a pickup team where like they just don't ever get that sense of urgency. Like they're playing pickup and there's really no one who's got next, so you're not gonna lose your spot on the floor. Yeah. And they just don't play with urgency. Like Ben Simmons will throw a ball in and it's 
thrown lazily, talking about the overtime play where Horford jumped it. And Joel Embiid, as, as much as that pass wasn't very good, like Joel Embiid's got to come to the ball. Like you can't just like put your hip out and hope Horford doesn't jump you. Like yeah. it's just combination of being lazy and like not retaining focus. And I think part of it had to do with uh, that confidence where they felt as though they beat the Miami Heat fairly easily. And then they said, hey, we're clicking all cylinders. We're going against this team, missing their two best players. It's going to be easy. And you can kind of sense that confidence, just that, how you said, that lack of urgency, I think, stemmed from that overconfidence. And then now this is where they're at, where they're probably going to be beating other, most likely, I think, game five. I think it's going to five games. They're probably going to save face, go for the gentleman, give me a gentleman sweep, but who knows? I, I mean, I do have something, though. Do you mm-hmm. think the Celtics team is as bad as people are saying, oh, they're out they're without Hayward and Irving? I, I got that take from uh, one Bobani Jones where he said, are they really that bad of a team, or should, are we overlooking all the pieces they have? Well, I mean, like, they're definitely worse off without these players, but you can't mm-hmm. – like the the growth that Tatum and Brown have shown this year because they've mm-hmm. had to be performers cannot be understated. Like mm-hmm. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are a lot different players than they were entering the season. True. And Terry Rozier playing in the Irving spot is a lot better than he was when entering the season. Like I think we we often forget that this te- teams can get better throughout the season, especially a young team. Um, you know, Aaron Baines is a a rotation level player, like solid, just you know traditional center and Marcus Morris while being errant at times can, can really get going and can be like a go-to scorer for a quarter. Like game three, for example, was not his game. He had a very um, underwhelming game offensively. Um, it's just, you got all these guys and like, I mean, me and Richard kind of talked about Terry Rogier and what his potential was last pod. And it's, it's weird to see, but like, I, I still don't think he's like, going to be a star in this league. I think he's, I think Brad Stevens just makes every person who's going to be his primary ball handler into a star. Yeah. And, and I mean, he may, for me, he may not be a star, but I do see him as a, as a solid starter. That's one thing where I see him. I, I don't think he'll have what kind of like what you're saying that, Hey, he's going to take another jump and be, a, and be a star, but someone's going to pay him. Well, this summer, maybe not as much because there's not as much money to go around. Teams don't have as much money or not that many teams have money, but, Someone's probably going to pay – I think he's – what is he, restricted free agent? No, he's he's still got one more year in his contract this year. He's not a free okay. agent until next summer. All right. But will he be restricted or unrestricted? Restricted. Okay. So, either way, I that's something. But I, I was looking down the lineup. So, if we go through the matchups, between Embiid and Horford, most people probably say Embiid, right? Al Horford is a great basketball player. He's not I'll better. Definitely. He's not better than Embiid, though, like – like I, I'm probably like just keep digging myself in this hole, but you can make an Al Horford. Like I mean, granted, like he, uh, like not saying like his his basketball IQ and like f- like feel for the game, probably mm-hmm. not. But like all the like things he can do, like spread the floor, like be able to handle the ball reasonably well. Like you can piece that together. Like he, his feels what mm-hmm. takes him into like the being a really really exceptional basketball player. But no, yeah, Embiid's and, better. Embiid's better. Yeah. So then, if we look at um, Ben Simmons. Who do you cross-match with Ben Simmons with? I don't know. I mean, it's just – I guess you can just pair him with a rookie and Jason Tatum and, mm-hmm. you know, make – I mean, I, I don't know. Like, this exercise, 
you know, we're going just going best player to best player. Like it's gonna be. Yeah, the Sixers have the two best players in the series, in my opinion. But after that, like then you're starting to look down the list and say, okay, well, I could, I would like Horford, Tatum, Brown, and then maybe then we're getting to a toss up between, you know, Rocco, Saric, Redick, and you know, uh, Marcus Smart and those kind of guys. Like, mm-hmm. it's frustrating, but. I just can't help but see that Brad Stevens is the man. He's the guy who's saucing everyone standing on the bench. And then I wonder why isn't, and you might know more about this, why isn't Brett Brown giving Marco Fultz any playtime? Yeah, I find that so weird too. And I, I, if Shane Larkin steps on the court, I think that's a time for you to send Markel out in person. Like you just need a spark and Markel's going to attack the rim. And if it doesn't work out, you pull him back out and he's not going to be offended. Like he's, he's, he'd be much rather have the chance and, and fail than uh, run, not have the opportunities to succeed. Yeah. Especially and, if I Shane mean, Larkin's out there. Let, let yeah. him run. I mean, don't get me wrong. TJ McConnell's been solid for them. I think at one point, Brett Brown said, Hey, we're going with our guy who, who played for us so solid. But then you're right. I see a Shane Larkin. And I see Marco Fultz just attacking him every time. He's taller. I mean, don't get me wrong. Shane Larkin holds the record for the highest vertical leap in combine history. I'll give him that. But Marco Fultz could probably get a shot when he needs to. And who knows? You put him in, what is that? Gives you a solid 10 points in a spurt or like eight points in a spurt. And that's positive for the team where it almost seems like if, if certain guys aren't out there for the 76ers, they completely fall apart. Whereas for the for the Celtics, they can just keep moving parts around and then the engine keeps running. Thing about it is, is the Celtics are uniquely placed where they don't really have guys who are limit, completely limited one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Shane Larkin's yeah. really the only guy who gets consistent minutes that can't do anything on defense. When you mm-hmm. look at the Sixers, they got Simmons, Embiid, and Rocco, who are basically these are solid defenders, solid offensive players. Rocco obviously hit and miss with his shot, clearly. Um <laughs> But like Marco Fultz can be that guy. Like he can get, like his value isn't in shooting the ball, but he can get to the rim, and so he, he can be an offense defense guy. Whereas McConnell is strictly, even though he's had some like he went two for two last game, four points and two assists, also two turnovers. I mean, like he he can't like just get his own shot. It's because the Celtics aren't looking at him. Like he can't play offense. Amir Johnson stinks at basketball these days. Uh, Irshan Silva only out there for offense. Bellinelli, only for offense. Saric, primarily only for offense. And Redick, only for offense. Like, they don't have these guys who can do it on both sides of the floor. Yeah. And thus, that's where the problem comes in. The unique thing about the Celtics is even their worst players that they play are not complete sieves. Like, are complete sieve on defense and not completely useless on offense. Simi Ojale is the yeah. closest thing to a, like, a truly one-way player. And Shane yeah. Larkin is just really not good, like, frankly. Like, I mean, it's not his fault. And I think Celtics are, yes, doing some of the most basic stuff that the Sixers aren't doing. Yes, how you said Sixers, how you, we always talk about the Sixers, or you talked about the Sixers with their lazy, I think you talked about their lazy passes, especially one Ben Simmons. Uh, I think about the Celtics where they're just doing the most basic stuff in basketball, moving the ball, not standing around, and I think those type of things are killing them. I mean, even looking, I was looking at the basketball breakdown video of the Celtics versus Sixers series, and a lot of it's come down to that. Celtics just keep moving. When they give it to a guy, they don't stop moving. They keep trying to look for a way to cut, whereas the 76ers, it's all the Embiid post-up play or Ben Simmons post-up play. Everyone spread out and let this guy post up and just watch him. Yeah, I 
what frustrates me a lot is like what you're saying is there's only one action being ran for the 76ers. Yeah. Is either it's a pick and roll and three stagnant mm-hmm. players, it's a post up and four stagnant players. Yeah. Like I've, I've I never understand why so few teams like have a pick and roll running on like let's just say the left side of the court, and there's mm-hmm. not like some kind of pin down pl- like action happening for a shooter on the opposite mm-hmm. side of the floor, like to have just movement because it, it's just the more matchups you create and mismatches you create just by either space or personnel you're giving yourself more opportunities to pick apart a defense. And, like, if mm-hmm. let's say if they oversell for the guy um, coming off the screen on a pin down, maybe the guy setting the screen is wide open on a roll to the basket, you can hit a skip pass easy too. Or if they just play it well and the screen works, you got an open three coming up. Like, it's just – if you run stagnant – like, I, I think about how Cavs have been able to get off in this series. J.R. Mm-hmm. Smith is moving around a lot more. He's not just standing still. Like he's being like getting screens set for him and setting screens. He's moving. He's getting into the flow of the game. Everything's being fluid. When I watch the 76ers play, no one seems to be in the flow of the game because everything's just all right, sprint up the floor and stop everything. And let's see and what we can do. It's just and that's annoying. the bothersome part. Yeah, that's the bothersome part because you see a team, and we'll get to that series with the Cavs where you see a pick and roll with LeBron. And if you notice, almost off of every pick and roll, there's a guy in the corner open for a three on either side. It's because you don't have the guy staying there. A guy moves around, and sometimes LeBron throws a pass before the guy's even got in there. Right the 76ers, I want to see that movement because when you have someone as tall and as talented of a passer as Ben Simmons, he's going to find the guy. And that's the thing I feel like they're wasting. If they get him, he's going to be able to see over the defense, run something, and you have J.J. Reddick, Bellinelli, who can hit those leaning threes, keep those guys moving constantly, things will just open up. And do we do we then put this on Brett Brown to not make the adjustment, or who do we put it on? I think it's somewhat on Brett Brown. I mean, it's, it's hard to play one way all year and then kind of flip a switch and, mm-hmm. like, because, like, I, I feel like for the most part they, are, they do run just like they run up and down the floor and try to burn you, yeah. but the Celtics are playing good transition defense. So you're they're struggling to get into what they want to do, and uh, frankly, like Ben Simmons is struggling with the size of some of these Celtics defenders not being able to get to his spots easily, mm-hmm. and with like all these just factors, yeah, you need to be able to scheme something a little different. But you can't completely just be on the coach. The players got to be able to do some recognition on the court. Like none of these, like these guys are young, so yeah, it's a, it's a learning curve. But like yes, like the learning curve should have been the games one and two when you took those L's. And game three should have been like, all right, we reestablished we're actually a team that is better. And they didn't do that. And it, they, well, they did. And then they just kind of blew it at the end. Yeah. Cause I was going back when you brought those up in those other games. I try to think what was going well for the 76ers where they got those leads. One of the things happened fast break points, as you brought up, they're kind of the guys who they run back and forth. But then even seeing when things were going well, they had guys crashing to the hoop. That's honestly what I saw because they have guys who can get offensive rebounds or who can just cut to the basket. When they had guys doing that, it also gave opportunities to, hey, someone's going to have to guard this cutter, so a three-point shoot is left wide open. But I will say this. I mean, it should be noted, though, that the Celtics, they're really, uh, I think as each theory has gone along, they have been getting better in the execution of their offense and defense. That should be something... That's noted in Milwaukee. You saw almost how rough that series was for them against Milwaukee. And this series almost seems, I want to say easy, but 
they have it more figured out. When they were down big in game two, it didn't seem like they were panicking. Mm-hmm. It seemed as though they were said, okay, we let them have their run. We won the first game. Now it's time to chip away at this lead. That's what it seemed like. Yeah, and I look at it like this. In, in round one, they were still trying to figure out how much Terry Rozier can handle the offense. Mm-hmm. And, like, I mean, frankly, aside from Ben Simmons, like, they had better – better like point guard defenders between whether it be Bledsoe yeah. I mean he got shook sometimes but he's better mm-hmm. Eric uh Eric Bledsoe um you got Matthew Delvadova you got if it's a switch Schneller Middleton like there's just better like initial yeah. defenders on Rozier he was still able to get his uh shots mm-hmm. off but like there's a better initial defense whereas if you're getting guarded by Reddick Reddick tries hard and knows where to be but he doesn't have the athleticism to stick with mm-hmm. Rozier or any yeah. athletic guard so it's just it comes down to it um but Brad Stevens just keeps he must keep these guys so engaged because for like Simi Ojolade like feel like even though he's not a good shooter this time he's ready to mm-hmm. step on the floor and take that shot if it comes to him like he had a game he had like a game winner late in this regular season you know yeah. look at Terry Rozier it's just taking on the Kyrie role and basically it's thriving in it like he's no Kyrie but he's doing very well it's just mm-hmm. It's almost it's almost maddening, buddy, because it's just this this shouldn't happen. And I'm watching the Philadelphia 76ers offense turn into the Miami Heat offense, where they just run Reddick off a screen like like Wayne Ellington, and that's the only thing that we can do effectively. <laughs> I guess oh, it's so doing. annoying. This team's more talented than Miami, and they're not acting like it. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say that the 76ers are one of the more better built teams as far as bench and starting unit. Because there's guys coming off the bench, Abellinelli, McConnell, even a Fultz if they use them. Those type of guys, they're going to give you quality minutes. Even a Irsan Yelisova, they'll give you quality minutes, and that's what you want. And they can have so many combinations. But I think at this point, too, it should be noted that perhaps maybe, no one wants to talk about it, first-time playoffs for some of these guys who are their big talent, Embiid and Simmons. Do you think at some level the level of nervousness gets to them when they see a big lead being blown, when they're at home and – hey, we need to get the ball inbounded. Do they see – do you kind of notice that in them, or it's just – I mean, I don't, I, don't know, look at I, don't as, I don't look at it as nerves. I just I honestly think Ben Simmons is just a little too confident almost. Like He's just like, uh-huh. yeah, this is fine. Like, I, I was talking to my, 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 my roommate Ben about this. I'm like, you know, like, for, for the most part, when I play pickup, like, I'm a really good pass. Like, I don't make dumb turnovers just by trying to throw a pass because I'm not, like, looking for, like, some kind of highlight reel. I'm just trying to make sure that we move the ball. But, like, every once in a while when I'm getting frustrated and I'm, like, trying to, like, get the team to move a little bit, I will literally start telling people where I want them to go. And then even though the, I'm telling the defense what I want the, what I want my players to do, I'm not, like, focusing on my pass and, like, it'll get tipped and, like, then it's a turnover perhaps. Like, it's just no. when, you're, when you're so confident in your ability to do something and then you're getting frustrated, that just slight lack of focus is, I think, what's getting him. He's, he's frustrated with how things are going. And so he knows he's got that pass. He knows he's got – like, he knows he can inbound the ball to Joel Embiid. He does yeah. this a thousand times. And he's frustrated. So he's just not thinking about it just a little bit less, and it leads to, like, lackadaisical passing. And I think mm-hmm. I think that's how I'd explain it in my mm-hmm. – in, in relating it to my pickup game because me and Ben Simmons are so similar. <laughs> Definitely. And I'll say this, wrapping up this series, um, Al Horford has played tremendous. And how you said – where you can get guys who can spread the floor, big guy can spread the floor, rebound. Al Hofer adds that other dimension where he knows where to be at. And so many times, you, 
he knew the right place to be at. And even if the plays are not designed for him, that's something that's valuable. Or even when a play is breaking down, he's the type of guy that you want on your team that says, all right, this play isn't working. What can we do as a backup? I'll go over here. I'll screen over here. And he's constantly thinking of ways to keep moving in the offense and putting himself in the right position. I think that should be noted. What he's doing is just, I don't want to say nullifying Embiid, but making sure that he's holding his share of the matchup. So I don't know how much you know about David Thorpe. I mean, Coach Thorpe, we know who he is. Anyone who follows basketball Twitter um, Mm -hmm. and True Hoop and all that stuff ESPN used to do, um, he's been talking about Al Horford being the actual most valuable player and uh, Harden working more as the most outstanding player. And you can really see it in the series because the Celtics do everything with Al Horford and he starts the process for almost every action. Like this last game, for example, he didn't shoot the ball particularly well. He didn't rebound in terms of numbers wise a lot, but he had two assists, two steals, three blocks, only two turnovers. And this is a guy who catches the ball at the top of the key or in the, uh, at the top of the lane, every possession. And he run, he runs so much. And I, I don't dislike Al Horford, but I, I think the thing I have is I dislike how much everyone likes him right now. Mm. And it just makes me mad because I'm like, yeah, I get it. He's really good. But, like, no, none of you were saying this when he was in Atlanta, and he was basically the same player. Like, this is truly Brad Stevens just taking a great player and making him outstanding. And um, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. Just, just not feeling it. No, I understand. <laughs> Owen people in previous years, when Al Horford would get those all-star nods and everyone's like, why Al Horford? Why this? And then you can kind of sense it where people are saying, if a guy doesn't get 25 and 10 as a center, that means he's not an all-star. Where Al Horford's just like, hey, I'm probably going to get you 15 and 10, but when I'm on the floor, my plus minus is going to be ridiculous. And I'm going to make sure that I always bring something to the table and not take off as much. Right. But I mean, I'm guessing that's what happens, though, with, with players like Al Horford who aren't as flashy, that's going to happen. But you're right, though. It's like the Al Horford bandwagon is going a little bit too full. Yeah. I, I, I honestly think that's he's the only reason I'm, like, really zagging off. Because I can remember a fantasy draft <laughs> where, like, I was all I was taking him in the second round quite a bit back in the day when he was that 84 mm-hmm. overall center. Oh, yeah. He yeah. was a staple of the fantasy draft. Anyway. Elkin, let's go ahead and move on to the series that includes the greatest player of all time. Yeah, I'm going to keep saying it. Um, LeBron James, he's really good. Um, The Raptors are worse than the Pacers. Um, DeMar DeRozan didn't play in the fourth quarter. Ibaka, still trash. Um, Your thoughts, my friend? Uh, I think kind of it was summarized best. Um, I heard this is not an original thought from me where someone said, the Pacers came into the series believing they can beat the Cavs. The Raptors came into the series not believing they can beat the Cavs. And I think that's one of the biggest differences I see because, honestly, there's a reason why the Pacers were a fifth seed and not a first seed. The Raptors are not a bad team. Like, as much as they're, they're really crap in the bed right now, they're a first seed for a reason because they're a really good team all season. But I think it's a LeBron, and a lot of it is – Mental and Ethan, you know, when you play basketball, a lot of basketball is mental. And if you're out of it, given part of it is too is your best player stinking it up, or his players overall, and having Serge Ibaka, not much you can do about that one. So there's very limited. But still, just seeing how you have one Demar Derozan, who I'm pretty sure he was very similar stats to one Victor Oladipo throughout the entire season, as far as scoring wise, assists, rebounds, all yeah. that stuff, very similar. But then 
you you and I always said that Kyle Lowry was the one that made the team go. And what happens? You had these first two games where Kyle Lowry almost felt like he wasn't regular season Kyle Lowry or full effect. Uh, yesterday's game, I thought I thought he did his best to will the team back. I will say that. Yeah, no, he, he put a great game: twenty-seven points, seven assists, and like mm-hmm. good percentages from those areas. Um, five turnovers, but like that's gonna happen when you're the one with the ball in your hands. I mean, it's you're 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 the one forcing the issue. You're gonna have some problems. Um, I thought Fred Van Vliet in the starting lineup was interesting. Like, I don't mind getting Serge Ibaka up out of there, but um, oh man, Thank I don't know. You. Like, my my personal opinion, and you can tell me if you think I'm wrong. Like, I would have went with the more versatile defender of the point guards, backup point guards. I would have put Delon Wright in the starting lineup before Fred Ooh. Van Vliet, just because he's a better defender. You know, like. If you're gonna uh-huh. if you're gonna swap out bum for you know bench player, let's go with the guy who can you know maybe show a little bit more versatility on the court. Whereas you know Fred, I'd like to see Fred Van Vliet come in there with your bench unit and really get those guys going because he's more of a like kind of floor general type of guard. Yeah, because when you see a a right, he comes in there. He's also you're right about switchability. He has that, and he's still going to be able to shoot threes. And I see him as a guy who can pester George Hill. Also, I was thinking about this. Um, Victor Oladipo did not have the greatest of of shooting series. I mean, he had a good first game. I think the sixth game, he kind of bounced back in the seventh game. But most of his series are bad. One of the things I noticed is that when when those games were going bad for him, he still brought on the defensive, and I think that really helped the Pacers keep the games close. Yeah. Whereas DeMar... When DeMar's not feeling it offensively, what else does it bring to the table? And that worried me a lot. And I think we kind of saw that. Dwayne Casey kind of said, uh, I don't know if you read the quote, he said DeMar was having a bad game and all this, and we felt like he wasn't really bringing it defensively, so we switched him out. That was essentially the reason why he was – why DeMar sat the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of like – the thing about James Harden, if he was still in Houston, like when he mm-hmm. was – like the the one guy, like when the Houston was making seven seeds in the West, which would probably yeah. you know compare pretty well to like you know Toronto, you know a, a team in the East back in those days. Um, you know if James Harden can't get his stuff going and he's the guy who's got to be be the guy, I mean he's mm-hmm. playing defense so terribly at that time in his career that you got to go somewhere else. And Demar Derozan is kind of like that, but he doesn't even shoot threes, so. Yeah, if he if he can't get his game going, he he's he's yeah. not good at defense. It's a it's an awareness thing. It's a physicals thing. Like it's weird because he he has such elite athleticism when he has the ball in his hands, but really nothing going for him on the defensive end. Yeah, but also too, some of the matchups in the first few games were hurting Toronto. I mean, if you have Kevin Love getting guarded by C.J. Miles, you're getting 2012 Kevin Love just posting up a guy, sealing him off from the block, and doing that short little hook over him, and those things were happening and. Honestly, when LeBron's kind of feeling himself, not much you can do. I'll say this: Game two, when LeBron's in those fadeaways, that's that's a game you have to take an L. You're probably going to have to take a loss when LeBron's in those fadeaways. Guys like that, when they start making shots, there's not much you can do but move on. But I felt as though game three, that was unacceptable. They did come back, but well, game one and game three were the games I felt like. So how about that last possession though? Like LeBron gets the ball. I mean, obviously it'd be hard to deny him on the inbounds. Yeah. But the fact that nothing came to like just get in his way and like force him to pass and get the ball back, like Elgin, I just don't understand what they're doing. Like OG is a good defender, but you can't leave him to guard on ninety feet. Yeah, you can't get an island for ninety feet. Like it's one thing 
That's like if he if he's in the half court, there's a, like way le- less places on the court for him to go. But he had 90 feet to guard that guy, and uh-huh. he has there's too many there's too many op- opportunities for LeBron to do whatever he wants. And it's just yeah, and, he, and he, that, he forced him into a tough shot. He did, but it wasn't tough enough. And I'll say this: it's guarded the elite NBA players. It's hard to guard him 90 feet. I will say that. And you've kind of seen that though. You knew LeBron wanted to take that shot. And I think he kind of brought something up instead of just leaving him on the island. Try going for like a hard trap, make LeBron give the ball up, either make someone else create and shoot, or get LeBron get the ball back with a few seconds left. Because I mean, at least you'll be able to force someone into a bad shot. And I'll say this the shot that LeBron took is probably a shot that you want if you're the Raptors. He's running, fading out of bounds, a one handed floater. Out. Right. That's probably the shot that you want, but unfortunately for them, it's a shot that knowing LeBron, he's probably practiced that a few times. Almost so like Kyle Culver said. Okay. Yeah, almost like Kyle Culver said. Kyle Culver said he's practiced that shot before. And I think, whereas, and I think back to um, the Pacers series when he hit that game winner in game five. I think about that, how he, Thaddeus John essentially has let him get to, the, get to his spot. I don't know if you I don't know if you listen much to Dan Dockage at all. No. You probably if you're like my brother, you probably don't like him as much. But he essentially said where the Pacers kind of said, Hey LeBron, we're not really gonna stop you from getting to that spot. Go into the left. And if you're a right handed shooter, you wanna go left because your feet are gonna be squared up. They didn't do anything to block his path. I think that's where the Raptors messed up. You do nothing to block his path, so he's just gonna get the momentum. Right. Like it kills you. If I'm if I'm coaching this scenario, like we need to force this guy right. If if he wants to go to the rim, fine. Contest. Don't like try not to foul him and like or like maybe even give him an extra bump because force the ref to blow the whistle on a on a game winner. You know, but they almost never blow the whistle there. And yeah. but you let him. You, you saw him. He set him up. He took that hard dribble to the right. OG bit. He crossed over left and drove to his spot and pulled up. And I'm yeah. just like, man, like. It's just, but, I, I, I'm not going to say sit here and say I know how to stop LeBron. I don't. But the yeah. whole game, the whole game plan frustrates me. And, you know, you're, you're the one who picked D- Dwayne Casey as coach of the year. I refuse <laughs> that. Uh, hey, we're talking about regular season, though. Regular season. True. But, but I still refute I w- that. I will go back to this, though. I think the problem for the Raptors, as you said, the whole game plan, even before that moment, that entire game, I felt as though. It never looked like Cleveland was as panicked as the Raptors. Because Cleveland had that double-digit lead through, I think, for most of the game in the second, third quarters. They had a double-digit lead, and they were just comfortable. And I had a chance to watch them. How many times is Dwayne Casey going to let one Serge Ibaka shoot that mid-range dumper and destroy a possession? He's the like, worst. Like, that really – before, I kind of was like, all right, Ethan's a hater. You know, Ethan's just hating. But watching it, I'm seeing it where Serge Ibaka, he's a fairly athletic guy. He has one Kevin Love guarding him. He probably could take a few dribbles and try to get to the basket. Or maybe, hey, why don't I try posting up? I'm taller than him. Let me shoot a short jump hook. No, I'm a tall guy who's going to keep going for mid-range twos that are guarded. Or even when he was open, he missed them. And that just killed me. And then yeah. it felt like the, and I felt like the Raptors that threw them off. And I kept watching that lead. And yeah, I mean, they made the comeback. I'll say this. Give props to one OG. I'll say this. Uh, that's a guy who he's, I was definitely one on my team. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's going to be an important player for whatever team he ends up on. 
like if it's not the Raptors in a few years. Like he's he's got the goods defensively. He's he has mm-hmm. the onions to take the shots when the game's on the line. It's yep. just a matter, it's just a matter of repetition. And I'm I'm gonna say it one more time for for all the all the listeners. Where's Norm Powell? Man, you brought. I was thinking, is he st- is he a starter still? No, he's not playing at all. The dude, what? Are he, what? The dude got the Josh Richardson contract shortly after Josh Richardson last year in the playoffs was a decent contributor, and the guy's not getting any minutes. I don't care. Like this again. I, I'm not. In the, I'm not in the locker room. Not in in the practices. But I just can't imagine when you're struggling for answers that this guy's not getting his name called at all. And it's just it's frustrating to me because. Yeah. You just need better defenders out there, people who are not going to lose the shooters. And Norm Powell, for what it's worth in my eyes, has always been a pretty solid defender. And, you know, yeah, yeah, I, I'm man. just getting mad that he's not getting any minutes, like, at all. No scratch. <laughs> I honestly forgot about him until you brought him I He was even on my radar until you brought him up. And you're right about defense. And I think about offense. He's, I mean, he's a decent three-point shooter, good slasher. You can probably plug him in, put him in 15 minutes, see what happens. So so far in the series, he's only played in garbage time, and the only, he only got he got three minutes in the uh, blow in the blowout time um, in game two. That's a shame. That's really a shame because I remember it, it's just frustrating kinda, to me. I kind of felt like when they first got him and brought him up, I felt like oh, this guy's like Terrence Ross who can play defense. That's what I felt like, and then now yeah. you see it where. Where, a lot less and, offensive what, talent than Terrence Ross. Yeah, true. Don't forget Terrence Ross dropped 50. They'll never be forgotten. Um, That's right. And I think at one point he was a starter as well. They had him starting. Yeah, he like makes sense forward. as a, like a small – like he's kind of like in that Wesley, uh, Wesley Matthews role, but just not as good yeah. a shooter. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's got a niche in this league. And I'm, I'm telling you, like just – I know he's not as tall enough to guard LeBron, but like when I'm watching – like OG needs a break, dude. Like get someone yeah. out there who can 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 try. So I I'm, I'm telling you, I'm done with this team, and honestly, I'm I'm basically done talking about it because it's just making me mad. Do you think it's going to be a sweep, Elkin? Um, I want to say yeah. Compared to the 76ers, the Raptors all after LeBron made that shot, it just felt like at that point they they booked their summer plans. I I felt it instantly as soon as that shot went down. You can you can see it. You can just see it. And yeah, it just killed them a little bit. So let's we, we talked. Let's just do a quick recap of these two series. So we th- you you think it's going to be a gentleman sweep for the uh, Celtics? Uh, we're going to go to five games. Yes, sir. And I think we both agree that the, the Cavs are, are going to finish it because LeBron's tired. He wants to sleep. He's burnt, as he said. Hey, man, and I'll say this: this kind of just, I'm. Um, I am not one of those people who say LeBron's a goat yet, but for people to discredit what he's doing in the playoffs is a sham. I don't care what conference you're playing in. I don't care whatever you say, but it's a sham if at this point you're still saying LeBron, what he's doing isn't all that good. If it's playoffs, doesn't matter what conference you're in and you're doing this type of stuff, it should be noted. And I'll yeah. point, like, I've, I watched every one of those Pacers games, and the Pacers made him work for all those points. It wasn't like LeBron was just, getting his shots. The Pacers made him work. And even the Raptors, they had him shooting fadeaways. He's just performing good, and that's something that should be noted. I mean, he hit two playoff buzzer beaters. I'm pretty sure Kobe's only had one playoff buzzer beater in his entire career. LeBron did. Yeah, because Kobe blew him out, never needed to hit a buzzer beater. 
<laughs> oh man. So as it's as, as they it, say, it's it's always the you always have the LeBron versus MJ comparison, and then there's always that Kobe fan who tries to bring Kobe in, and everyone just shakes their hand, shakes their head at that Kobe reference, saying maybe it's not not the best time to bring up Kobe. That's uh, it's a it's a worthless exercise. It's it's pointless <laughs> to argue anyway. But like Kobe, come on now. Yeah. All right, Elkin. I appreciate your time. Uh, we're going to take a quick break in quotation marks at a couple hours, wait for this jazz game to be over. And we'll be right back with right. Richard and me covering the Western conference. Duncan, thanks for joining me. Mm-hmm. And we're back. And when I say we're back, I mean I'm back, and I'm now joined by Richard. Now, Richard, we're going to be covering the Western Conference. Um, yeah, your boy Donovan Mitchell, he played tonight. You want he to did play. Do you want to start off with him and his comrades? Yeah, sure. Let's go ahead and talk about that game. I mean, uh, you know, you lost. They're down 3-1 now. The last time we made this podcast, it was a little bit more rosy. There, It was tied 1-1. And they're going to Utah. And, you know, there was a little bit of hope that, you know, perhaps they could win a game, begin to cause Utah to have, no, sorry, begin to cause Houston to have a little bit of the worries, uh, you know, have the whispers of Chris Paul and James Harden, early playoff demises, you know, mm. come back at them. But not to be the case, uh, Houston went in, grabbed not one, but two games in Utah, looking to close it out um, on their home court. And, I mean, both games, well, not not both games. Eh, yeah, sure, but, but both neither game. Donovan Mitchell was he wasn't phenomenal in either game. He had his moments. Like there were there were times when mm-hmm. he was just awesome. I think of like today's game, uh, in the, in the second quarter. Basically, he scored fifteen that quarter. He could get whatever he wanted. He was going in on Capella, who yeah. outside of that quarter had basically one of the best defensive performances we'd seen in the playoffs. He ended up with six blocks. Uh, in, in today's game, and so, uh, but you know, Donovan Mitchell not not the most efficient, uh, but it's it's one of those things where without Rubio being out there, hasn't been able to play for the whole whole series thus far. Probably won't get to if uh, Houston takes it next game. And now now you got uh, Dante Exum out, who who's been helpful, and so. Donovan Mitchell's really having to do a whole lot because you think about it, he's playing, he, he has to carry the load on offense and guard one of Chris Paul or James Harden, the defensive end. It's a lot to ask uh, for a rookie. He's done pretty well, obviously leading, leading Utah in, in scoring. Um, but when it comes down to it, Utah just does not have uh, the pieces that, that they need to beat this Houston team. Yeah. They don't have the horses as it were. Like they're, they're out there and they're trying to run and they're trying to get some things going and they just they, they end up falling just a little bit short in every all but one game. Now the, yeah. the game game three was uh, utter disaster for Utah from from the jump. Yeah. I feel like Houston kind of came out and said, "Yeah, we're just going to end this right away." We had the Eric Gordon game we've kind of been waiting for. He had he hadn't really had a marquee game of the postseason. This that game three was his. Um, game four. Um, much more contested. Like the score kind of got stretched out there in the last minute. Um, 
minute or two, like Tucker hit a, like a, a corner three with the shot clock. Like the timing just wasn't quite right to hold the ball on heat. So that, that adds some points. Um, yeah, just real interesting game. And I think we saw the uh, fatal flaw of the Jazz is that Don Mitchell, like, although I like him with the ball in his hands, like, more, like, I, maybe even if Rubio c- can come back, I like to see him creating more, like, having the ball in his hands more often. However, um, you could really tell, like, there's times that he needed a breather, needed a break on offense. Like, his his gravity would be useful on the floor, but he didn't – he can't create every possession. And, frankly, Joe Ingles, while well, he, he had his game in yeah. game two – he can't he can't carry that load like Ricky Rubio can, and you know it just it's 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 a battle of attrition right now for the Jazz and all, all their players are getting hurt. Yeah, it's it's really difficult. I mean, at this we we've played throughout a full season and now we're into the second round of the playoffs and that can begin to happen. Um, they've also done the Rockets have done a great job of basically neutralizing um, uh, Rudy Gobert. He hasn't been able to do a whole lot because they've basically just taken Capella and put him in the pick and roll, either with James Harden or Chris Paul. And especially today with Chris Paul, that was the big thing that they did. And Gobert has has one of two options. He can either help on to Chris Paul, who will throw it up for a lob for Capella, or he stays with Capella. And that's what, that's what happened. He stayed with Capella for most of the day. Chris Paul was able to just get any shot he wanted to in the mid-range. And that that's where they're able to throw up some floaters where Russell Westbrook last round was just trying to take it to the hole and being unsuccessful because Gobert was actually able to, to stop him and stifle him in that moment. But they, they've really taken away what Utah does best defensively with Gobert and with their mid range floaters and with their three point shooting. And uh, yeah, they just Utah doesn't have the pieces. They weren't, they're not able to respond really what it takes is it takes a lights out game from basically the entire Utah roster. It, you need that and that happening from everyone on the floor in order for them to beat Houston, like you saw in game two when Joe Ingles, uh, you know, played phenomenally. And, you know, as I pump him up a little bit, like that's not what he does every day. Uh, he, he'll throw one of those nights out uh, you know, every once in a while. It tends to happen against the Detroit Pistons, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, it, it. He had that game in game two. He, he does okay. Like he's he's their secondary guy, but tonight's game is more like what he what he normally might do in a game. You know. Yeah, I think one of the coolest, like, well, not cool, but interesting things about the day is both both games, uh, the Warriors and Pels and Rockets and Jazz, ironically were won in the mid range. Uh, Kevin mm-hmm. Durant just decided today that he was going to take all the mid range jump shots he wanted because he can always have it and he can always make it. Um, and and Chris Paul roasted quite a bit in the mid-range as well. Oh, he did. And so, like, it was kind of interesting to see a bit of a throwback in terms of shot selection on two teams that really focus on layups and threes. Um, it's interesting to see, like, them break out a new a new uh, facet to their offense and, and really go in there and say, yeah, you know, I'll take this shot too because I can also make it. It's nice to see that, like, they're not, you know, beholden. Like we saw last year, the Houston team literally, like, had a brain malfunction when uh, the Spurs were running off the three and keeping two bigs in the paint. It's like, I don't know what this mid-range is. Like, I can't shoot it. So it was, it was really cool to see a kind of a throwback to uh, some – older style plays like I'm sure you can remember Rip Hamilton just working that mid-range and making you happy yeah I mean it's a little bit of a different 
setup though because because of the three-point shooting that both of these teams have it you know if you end up getting that mismatch somewhere in the mid-range whether it's uh, Chris Paul in a pick and roll or Kevin Durant over a shorter player like you know Drew Holiday you know you you have the mismatch you want and it's just totally spread out so you don't worry about someone you know coming in and and cluttering it in the middle you have the space that you need and these guys practice these shots over and over and over again. And Chris Paul wants to get right into the, that mid-range spot, and he knocks it down. And that's what we see, uh, what we saw happening today. And yeah, it's it's interesting just because these teams can light it up. And you know, respectively, they, you know, the Houston did not shoot very well from three today. Like it just wasn't there. Uh, they're shot twenty six percent from three, uh, which you know isn't really what they want. And the Warriors also shot 30, um, 33% from the three point line today. So neither team was able to really take it from, from outside. But when you got players like Kevin Durant and Chris Paul, sometimes it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, both teams shot pretty poorly from three today. And I think, you know, the Rockets show that they can overcome a bad shooting night um, just because they do have the uh, two star players and also a Clint Capella who can, just finish dunks around the rim pretty easily. Do you know what helps when you're shooting uh, 26% and 33% from the three-point line? When your opponents shoot 24% in Utah and when the Pelicans shoot 15%. So, I mean, that helps also. Right, yeah. I mean, we look at uh, Jay Crowder, Royce O'Neal, and Joe Ingles specifically, uh-huh. guys who uh, the Jazz need to be spot-up shooters. And Crowder went one for seven. Royce O'Neal 0 for three. Had a monster dunk though. Really enjoyed yep, that. That was, that was nice. And then Joe Ingles two for seven. You know, not not that far from an, an average night shooting, but you know, not what you need when he's supposed to be a knock, a, a, an incredible knockdown shooter, leading up to leading the league in th- uh, three point percentage. Yeah, I mean, the issue is like the Jazz. You start, you get behind early, and a lot of these shots come with well, we need to try to manufacture some points. We're down fifteen points the entire game. And so you hoist some threes, and they're not great shots, not within the rhythm of the offense. And um, but yeah, I mean you you have to make more threes. I saw a bunch of like where Jay Crowder's getting them in rhythm, you know, missing them, and it's just it's hard. It's hard, and this is a make or miss league, and a lot of missing uh, going on from the outside today. Yeah. Um, last thing I want to speak about um, regarding this Rocket series is the. Uh, I want to talk about, again, the diversity of ways the Rockets can beat you um, in terms of players. Um, like, we talked about Eric Gordon had his game the other night. Um, Gerald Green came in and gave some solid minutes today. Just another shooter. He shot 40% in the game. All five of his attempts being threes. That's that, that's just fun. And he's he's also 6'7". Six, uh, six, and so he's a – if when he's engaged, and he has been from time to time in his career, he's a pretty solid defender. But you look up at this team. The heat, uh, the, oop, the heat, <laughs> the, 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 rock, <laughs> the, the Rockets played nine players today and the worst defender, the only one who's not a, cap- a super capable defender was James Harden today. And that's, I don't know if I've mentioned that, but we got Ariza, Tucker, Capella, Paul, Mahamute, Nene, Gordon, Gordon. And Green. Yeah. Eric Gordon. He, I don't want you to sleep on him. He, he gets in there and like wrestles with people. He um he does a pretty good job. Okay, I, I mean here's the thing: James Harden, uh, norm- normally known for his poor defense, but he hasn't just he's not 
just a poor defender. Uh, like he does have some games, like the, the past couple of games, if, maybe I should say specifically like game three, he played pretty well. He forced a lot of difficult shots um, that, you know, Donovan Mitchell had had to force up there. Mm-hmm. But today it just seems like he allowed anyone who wanted to blow by him just to do so. I mean, Joe Ingles never on, on the, in the corner, just caught a pass, hardened, terrible closeout. He just took it right to the rim. Donovan Mitchell, when he, here's one thing I don't, I don't quite get though. Like the jazz were sending a lot of Rudy Gobert into, you know, to, to put a pick on James Harden for Donovan Mitchell to go and attack on Clint Capella. I would almost rather prefer just to, you know, let, if you're going to have him take it in and do ISO and hero ball, why not just let, Donovan Mitchell just take James Harden as he is because James Harden was not about playing defense today. So yeah, just just allow the one on one to happen, take it right to the hole, and you know get whatever yeah. you want in in that regard, and make make him work on on defense. I guess this kind of mirrors our observation about uh, Demar Derozan uh, going against the shorter def- uh, Cavs defenders yeah. who are trying to get switches for Tristan Thompson. Now we didn't know Derozan's game three. We don't really need to talk about, but it was yeah. it was not good. But um, yeah, like it's the same concept. Like, if you already have a weak defender, why are we looking like to exploit it? Even like, you know, just just take what you got, you know. And I kind of like the idea of if you blow by your defender and Harden, then it's a two on one with um, you can go bear with Capello had to make a decision. That's where the advantage can be gained. And yeah, uh, I mean, I, I guess if you're the, if you're Utah, do you some of these other teams? You know, maybe you don't want your your offense to be like a stagnant one-on-one type of type of basketball like you don't yeah. want that to be just what you run because you want to get other people involved and you want there to be movement uh but you got to make some people pay when they're when they're defending poorly and yeah. whatever way that you're, you're doing it you just have to make sure that you are exploiting that each and every time and uh well if it's not with hero ball, it's got to be with sets and so that yeah. comes that comes down to coaching if you don't want to go the hero ball route which is fair because it can lead mm-hmm. to people not like not getting a feel for the game and kind of being isolated, not getting enough going on. Yeah. But if if you're Quinn Snyder, like maybe you just got to try and draw up some sets where you're still exposing him if it's uh, even just based on movement. Yeah, I mean, give give me like uh, I don't know, maybe give give me a Joe if you, give me a Joe Ingles, uh, Donovan Mitchell pick and roll or something like that, so where you're still attacking Harden, you have someone, you know, whoever Harden ends up ends up on you, you're getting that movement, but then you're able to take advantage of, of him and his poor defense. All right. Archer, I think we've covered that that game pretty well. Let's bump over to the early game, the the Golden – oh, he's got one more. more, more this, this could be the last last podcast we have before the Utah Jazz are eliminated from the postseason. So just want just to say, Donovan Mitchell, I love you. You're doing great. You can do it. I believe in you. And I'm going to edit this out of the podcast. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> what happens when I have editing power? Ah, well, let's go ahead and move on then. Fine, right. let's go. Let's go. All right. Golden State in New Orleans. Early game. Um, Golden State basically won it in the first quarter. It's it's really interesting and nice to see that um, <laughs> Kerr realizes who his best lineup is and he's actually going to play them. Um, so, yeah, the, the, I mean, Pelicans came back and made it a game. But then you saw it again in the third quarter when that that death lineup, quote unquote, comes out. They expand the lead once again. Um, I guess, Richard, this is what I kind of want to focus on with this series. Um, is there any way 
for the Pelicans to beat that lineup. Is there anything they can do? I see um, everyone in that lineup is a plus 20 today and plus minus. And I know plus minus like is not the end all be all, but like that's the lineup that you ran out there as your starters and, and the people you came back to in the beginning of the third quarter. And like, so these guys got a lot of the run and it was just, they just destroyed them. Like you can't, I mean, if there was a team to match up, I, I would say it would be this Pelicans team just because you have Anthony Davis mm-hmm. as, you know, this, really versatile, great defender, great offensively player. But, you know, it's just what, – what are you going to do when Draymond Green is, is knocking down three-pointers? What are you going to do when Iguodala is hitting 40% from three? Like right. – and you have Kevin Durant, Steph Curry's out there. Like, basically, Clay Thompson's the only one who really didn't have a fantastic – didn't really have a good shooting night. But it's, it's, it's not even – It's not like really, you're ever going to leave him open, though. Yeah, I mean, so he's taking people out. It just you can't do a whole lot when when they're making shots. And this is a lineup that does make shots. They they do have this is energy that they bring. Um, and here's the thing, Kerr. It's not like Kerr realized that this is his best lineup and saying let's go ahead and play it. Like Kerr does have other things to worry about. And we 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 talked about this a little bit during the last podcast uh, when we mentioned this team. Like Kerr kind of wants to make sure everyone's involved in Kumbaya Kerr. Kumbaya Kerr. Like he wants to make sure that people are getting their minutes. And if you look at this team, this is opposite, you know, everyone basically got in for the Warriors. Like he's getting people minutes. Uh, But I think him realizing it, we we mentioned this as well. Like we thought if if the Pelicans were going to win a game, it was going to be game three because the Warriors are lackadaisical sometimes. And, and I think, what Kerr did today that was good is he sent a message to his team saying, Hey, we, we got to wake up. We're going to start off with this lineup and you need to go out and destroy them. And I think it helped. I think that going to this lineup early, early like this helps them get locked in. I would hundred percent agree. Um, you go to the bench for the Warriors and there's not as much shooting as you'd like to see coming off the bench. It's basically Nick Young and Quinn yeah. Cook. Uh-huh. Your only guys who can really like actually shoot uh, like, high percentage from three. So, like, it's, it's interesting to see. Like, if they come out with that starting lineup, I mean, it's really Curry, Thompson, and Durant that have to, like, be the, the workhorses for three-point shots. But then if Draymond Green and Iguodala are making shots, this team's impossible to beat. And they made their shots today, two for four for Green, two for five for uh, Iggy. And I can't remember what podcast I was listening to, but they, they were talking about the Warriors and said, if those two shoot for 35% from three, you can't beat this team. And that makes sense to me because if you're shooting that just normal, like you're not going to leave them open percentage. And then Durant can take all the mid-rangers he wants. He can also get to the line pretty easily. Curry, unbelievable with the ball in his hands. Clay, it's just not fair, Richard. It really isn't. Yeah, I wonder – I wonder how – because Curry hasn't totally looked like – he's been shooting well, but like – I don't know. I, I, I'm a little bit worried with his movement. Um, he's coming back from his knee injury a little bit. And so that's just a little bit, a little worried that I have, but I mean, who knows if they can, if they can get through this series pretty quickly, well, I guess it doesn't matter because the NBA, will the NBA just start the next series? Um, I say, actually, you know what? All these series are probably going to be over within like the next 
you know, the next game yeah. or so. I mean, they all could be over. So I, I guess would the NBA just start the next series immediately or do they well, – What? how do they handle that? I know they all – like I don't have like the things in front of me, but right. I know they all – like every series advancement like has a date that they can't start any earlier than okay. and so on and so forth. And the finals is a set date no matter yes. what. Yeah. So like I'm sure there's like going to be a slight gap if all these series end in five and four games. But it's it's not gonna be it's not gonna be huge, and um, you know, because they they can't they don't want to like push it all the way back because then you're you know less stress from the finals. They'd rather have a nice healthy gap between the finals and conference finals than this round to the conference finals. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess we'll see. Um, anything else we need to really mention about? I mean, I mean, let's let's talk about the Pelicans a little bit. Um. Is there anything we can really say about about what the Pelicans have done? Like, I mean, if they make their threes better today, this game's a lot closer. Ian Clark sabotaged the whole team's three point percentage by going zero for seven. Um, nice. My houseman Ben and I were like saying, "Well, Ian Clark showing the reason he's not on the Warriors anymore." <laughs> Are we sure he's not on that on the Warriors for real though? Like, yeah, just... he's still he's still cashing a check, huh? <laughs> Perhaps after that performance. Um, I was also joking that I was mad that DeAndre Liggins got the garbage time, not my boy, Mr. Crawford. Uh, so that that was painful for me. I, I stuck around for the ending to see him get some minutes, and it didn't happen for me. Um, they're they're black they're blackballing big baller brand, as it were. Yes, they are. <laughs> yes, they are. Um, I do have one more thing I want to talk to you. I want to run by you because I, I I was mentioning it to my my buddy, and I was uh, I think tweeting about it. But here's my thought. Kevin Durant and uh, Anthony Davis. I don't really understand why they're not guarding each other more often. We saw a little bit of it in this game, and Durant had already gotten in his groove, and it wasn't making much of a difference. But if you're the Pelicans, I'm looking at, especially if they're going to start with the death lineup, you got to try to keep Durant from getting his shots off because that guy is just going to cook anyone he's, who's guarding. I, I understand why you don't why you don't want to at least start off that way because. If they start off with a death lineup, you're, you probably want Anthony Davis on Draymond Green. Why? Because if you're Anthony Davis and you're the Pelicans, you're betting if the, the way that we're going to win is if Draymond Green is hoisting up shots and breaking them. Like, that's the way that you do it. And so for Anthony Davis, you want to be in a spot of you know being able to be a rim protector. If you're mm-hmm. guarding Kevin Durant, he can slide out of the corner and you have to stay with him. That's you, true. you have to be out on him, and so you limit your ability to be a rim defender if you if you put Anthony Davis on Kevin Durant. On the flip side, I would not want Kevin Durant guarding Anthony Davis. If I'm the Warriors, why would I why would I submit KD to that kind of abuse down low? Because if he does get him into the post, that's just that's just a beating that why why have you know. Like Kevin Durant is the person who you can't have get an injury at this point. Like That's you true. have you have Steph Curry, who's coming, who's come back, shot well, but he is in the process of try. He's he's still on a hundred percent, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't want to have a gimpy Kevin Durant along with a eighty percent Steph Curry going into any of the future rounds. So let Draymond take all of that. Um, you know, let let David West come in. He didn't get very much time today, but uh, let some of the other guys come in and get time on him. I don't want Kevin. I don't. I don't want really either one of them covering each other. 
Well, the reason the reason I was like this is more of a reaction to Game Three when uh, when Anthony Davis was having his way, and he still had his way in a lot of game in a lot of game uh, yeah. four because he's he's Anthony Davis. He's he's pretty good, mm-hmm. but I, I just look at it like if if it if the game's coming down to it, I feel like they like, that's a matchup they have to like if if it's a close game, it's a matchup they have to use because. Anthony Davis has too much height for Draymond Green. Draymond Green can't guard him at all. It's 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 kind of an embarrassment. And um, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I hate on Kevin Durant and call him a beta all the time. But I was watching game three, and I know we were reacting to game four. I was watching game three and watching Anthony Davis just go off. I was like, man, if I was at Kevin Durant and I know I'm the best matchup to guard him, I, I couldn't sit there and not take him. Here's the thing. like I don't see Kevin Durant as being a really, really good – post defender one-on-one I see him as being a really good help side defender at the like as a rim protector like I don't see him like being the type of guy just to like I just don't think his frame is big enough to be able to handle that I mean I don't want to throw jokes at his combine you know bench press (laughs) numbers but like obviously he's grown since then that obviously doesn't matter at all but he's just not that type of player um in 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 my eyes like yeah obviously he's, he's taller than Draymond he has a bigger you know reach I just wouldn't want to subject him to that. Okay, that's fair. I just was uh, getting my firing my last shots off for anyone who had Kevin Durant as a all defense or depoy candidate. Because no. if you are, you better be able to slow down Anthony Davis, and he won he won nothing of it. Honestly, though, who's who's out there? Like, who out there is someone who can actually slow down Anthony Davis? Who is it? I don't think oh. there's anybody. Hmm. I bet there's one. Right, there's one. LeBron James. No, I don't think so. Hmm. What about, what about Kawhi Leonard? No, I don't think so either. He's just, neither one of them is tall enough and can do anything with his length. Like he's the type. He's the person who you really can't do anything about. If he's on, like it's it's over basically. Like he's and, he can he has those outbursts, but the, the problem is you know. With the rest of his team, he also needs them to be going as well. And so, yeah. Durant's the same way, but yeah. his combination of uh, handle and quickness more mm-hmm. so than uh, beefiness. Yeah. Um, so, Scott Lepissier is the answer. He's the one who can guard everybody. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. Oh, boy. All right, buddy. Are you are you done with this series? You ready to call it a weekend? I, g- I guess. Here's, here's the thing, like – by the, so the next time we pod, it's going to be a Thursday, probably. Um, yeah. That's usually when we do things. Are there going to be any more series that are going to be going on? No. I mean, it might be an opportune moment for us to be previewing series at that point. Yeah. I mean, out of any of the series, all right, let's, let's throw this out, out there for you. Which series is the most likely to be extended beyond, uh, you know, Beyond next Thursday, I mean, obviously, when the games are played matters. But which which series is most likely to have two two more games after this? Philadelphia and Boston. Man, I guess yeah. I mean, cl- close games they've been having, but I mean, I, th- I just think the margin in that series is is so close, and it happens to be Brad Stevens right now. Yeah, um, I'll be I'll be excited to hear your reactions to me and Elkin talking about that a little bit, but. Yeah, it just it comes down to it, and it's a matter of being engaged. And the, the Sixers have looked disengaged at different points. And if they're engaged, I trust them. But 
Who knows? Well, let me just get my. I want to get a quick two cents in about about that series, and I just it's literally just this. Brad Stevens is the goat for calling a timeout when Marcus Morris is about to do a fade, do do a, a long two one on one. So so props to you, Brad Stevens, President Stevens. What a call by you to call timeout. Hey, speaking of calls, Richard, I believe you have something to plug in here. Oh, I do, I do. Um, so. We're not having a hero ball quote of the week today. We're going to go ahead and have a hero ball moment. And for this hero ball moment, we're going to go to a couple of guys from ESPN, Hubie Brown and Mark Jones. And here's what they had to say. Now, the big thing is make sure you do not foul anybody here on the dribble. It's going to be James. Here it is. It's under three seconds. Throws up the floater. Good night, Cleveland. That is for you. 